Hello. Uh, so as Pastor Maddox uh, prepares to present tonight's uh, devotional, I'd like to reread a portion of John 19 again, uh, but this time through a different translation. So starting in four, verse 14, I'd like to read from uh, the uh, NLT. It was now about noon of the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate gave Jesus to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Carrying the cross by himself, Jesus went to the place called Skull Hill, or in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him. There were two others crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign over him that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. Then the leading priest said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews to, he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate replied, what I have written, I have written. It stays exactly as it is. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said, let's not tear it, but throw dice to see who gets it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and threw dice for my robe. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, woman, he is your son. And he said to this disciple, she is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that everything was now finished, and to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, be here with you guys tonight. It's a privilege always to open the Word of God, especially on this weekend. Let's have a brief word of prayer before we start, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God, which guides us into understanding truth. And I pray that tonight as we remember what uh, Jesus Christ has done for us, that it would change us from the inside out, help us to love you more and desire to serve you more and to appreciate what we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. To the average onlooker at the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, this was the final resolution of the life of a man who just didn't fit in with the crowd. This man who had escaped the swift justice of the Jewish authorities on more than one occasion had finally fallen victim to his own devices. He had offended one too many Pharisees. He had performed one too many miracles. He had made one too many claims of deity. He had committed too many one too many's. 
And by now, by his own admission, it was over. His last word to Telestai, his last breath, the opportunity to disavow his actions had come and gone. He had lost, and apparently they had won. Pilate had avoided a rebellion. Herod had placated the Jews. The high priest had stabilized his power. The Sanhedrin anticipated the return to normalcy. Satan and his minions danced with glee. To the average onlooker, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the self-proclaimed king of the Jews, had been dispatched to the obscure footnotes of history. The cross had captured another victim. This man's story had been told, and it was over. That's what the average onlooker would have observed. But closer observation to the testimony of history may indicate otherwise. So for this evening, the big idea I want you to take away with you tonight is this. God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to planet Earth to pay the penalty for your sin so that the relationship that was broken in the garden could be eternally restored. I'm going to look at four P's tonight. The first P is the problem. Imagine the most spectacular, beautiful place that you could ever live in this world. That was the Garden of Eden. That's where Adam and Eve lived. The story of the cross really begins in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve were created in a state of innocence. God placed Adam and Eve in the ultimate survival environment and gave them one rule. Don't eat the fruit from that tree. Don't even touch it or you will die. Of course, every parent in this room knows that the power of that demand entails something. It's just invoked the curiosity curiosity clause. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Essentially, Adam and Eve, Eve said this, I do not trust you, God. You do not have the right to make that determination for what is right and what is wrong for me. I am an independent entity, and I know who I am and what I want. Sometimes you must be selfish and do what is right for you. And this is one of those instances. My personal happiness is more important than following your direction. Therefore, I am choosing to defy your rule as a sovereign, benevolent dictator and make choices based on what I think is right for me. Sound at all familiar? This is rebellion. This is rebellion. And from that moment, Adam and Eve needed redemption. Their relationship with a holy God had been fractured. God said, where are you? They knew they were naked. God said, who told you you were naked? And God covered them, atoned for them with the skins of animals. There is a truth bomb here, in case you didn't get it. Where did God get the skins? I would suggest to you this evening that you and I would have failed that test too. I know this because when I get in my car and drive down Route 151 on my way to my house from Mount Horeb, I look at my my speedometer and it says 65 on the sign, but to myself I say that really means 72. Because everyone knows that the police will give you seven miles per hour over the limit, right? 
And when I get stopped by the police officer, he says I was going 75 in a 65, my first response is to deflect and say, it's not my fault, I had the cruise control set lower than that. And when the officer says, I'm sorry, but I have you clocked at 75, maybe you should have the the cruise control calibrated. So now I am going to bring out the big guns and blame shift. And so I say, are you sure you got the right car? Because Jeremy Scott just blew past me like I was standing still. And by the way, he is the pastor at Memorial Baptist Church in Verona. Listen, friends and fellow speeders alike, a sin is a sin. And a sin requires a sacrifice. And Genesis 3.15 promises us the cross. Genesis 3.21 pictures for us the sacrifice. So we come away from Genesis 3 with a clear message, right? Your Redeemer is coming. This is, in fact, a gospel message. The second P is the path. The path to the cross runs all the way through the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 22, Abram takes his only son, Isaac, to the land of Moriah and to sacrifice him at a place. God says, a place where I will show you when I get there. God says, I will provide the lamb. Now, I can't prove this, but I will go to my grave believing it unless someone proves me differently. I think the place where Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed is the same place Jesus was crucified. That's my a place that I will show you, place of the skull, Moriah, Jerusalem. I don't know. You can make your own choice, but that's my story and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> Exodus chapter 12 tells us the story of the Passover lamb, right? Blood on the doorposts, on the top and on the sides, a lamb without blemish. The story was revived every Passover from year after year after year after year. You shall keep it as a feast, a time of celebration for what God did for us by providing us with a sacrifice, lambs, to secure our redemption from Egypt. Passover was all about redemption, about God's redemption of his people from Egypt and from darkness and from slavery, from despair and from hopelessness. The Passover meal was a celebration of this. It pointed people toward the Messiah who would come and complete the process. The lamb who was sacrificed and the blood which was shed would catapult God's people into a new era of redemption and joy in the kingdom that was to come. And every Jewish little boy and girl looked forward to that day all of their lives. And so for the past 1,500 years, the Jewish people had remembered the past. They had celebrated the blood that was placed on the doorposts, and they had feasted on the lamb. Truth bomb number two, for more than 1,500 years, God had been giving Israel clues about his plan to redeem his people. The message of Passover is this. Your Redeemer is coming. Again, this is a gospel message. The third P, the payment. 
the last Passover. This is the night we celebrate this evening. It was the first night of Passover, and as the text of the Gospels record, Jesus was celebrating the, evil, the evening with his disciples. It was a time of grand celebration. They shared in a Passover feast. The unleavened bread and the wine were integral parts of that meal. The different thing for Jesus and the disciples at this Passover was that, that Jesus brought ominous news. The Passover would bring about his death. And so this, their last meal together, would be a memorial meal that would be celebrated not only on this evening, but for centuries and millennia into the future. And over the course of the next several hours, Jesus would be the grand interruption of the week's festivities. <laughs> what a way to start Passover, huh? Jesus and his disciples retired from the upper room and crossed the Kidron Valley to Gethsemane to pray. It had been a long day for the disciples, and the meal had been generous, and sleep was their friend. And I'm sure that if you stood on the Mount of Olives that evening and looked across the valley into the city of Jerusalem, you would have seen little campfires popping up all over the place because a city whose population usually ran about 30,000 had swelled to probably somewhere about 300,000 during Passover week. And there was no place to say. So campfires would have been the norm all over the Kidron Valley. And here a group, there a group, all settling in to enjoy this week of celebration, of festivity, and Little did most of them know that tomorrow would be the saddest day in the course of human history. Over the next several hours, there was a transverse of Jesus' route from this place to that place. And Jesus was arrested in Gethsemane. Jesus was taken to Annas, the father-in-law of the high priest. Jesus was taken to the Caiaphas house where he was questioned by the Sanhedrin. Jesus was taken to Herod's palace and questioned by Pilate, probably somewhere around daybreak. Here at Antipas questions Jesus and sends him back to Pilate. Pilate tries to release Jesus instead of Barabbas, but is foiled by the angry masses of people. Jesus is then taken to the praetorium, tortured and prepared for crucifixion. Jesus is taken to Golgotha, and there he was crucified. Crucifixion had been perfected by the Romans, to be the most torturous form of death possible. It was their way of saying to their subjects, you don't want this to be you, so you do as we say. It was a not-so-subtle reminder of, to the populace who, of who was in charge, and to a large extent, it worked. The Roman soldiers were a nasty lot, and they took great pride in their work. We are back to the beginning of our story. We've kind of come full circle. But the picture is clearer now. The, the breadcrumbs that we have picked up along the way have given us a, a window into the world of the Messiah. The last word that the Apostle John records for us in John 19, 29 through 30, says it all. A full jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. 
And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. That one word, tetelestai, it is finished to the average person you might talk to on the street. They might think it means what, my life is over. That's not what it means. And everyone who heard it in that crowd would have understood it because they had probably seen it on bills of sale where they were given a stamp that said, this is paid in full. And what Jesus said to the listening crowd that, that day of crucifixion was, the debt is paid. Sin is atoned. You can have peace with God. This then is the message of the cross. The Redeemer has arrived. Your debt has been paid. Jesus' own words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John the Baptist's words ring true. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Jesus' words again, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so would the Son of Man be lifted up. Isaiah said it too, by his stripes we are healed. Peter tells us that the angels who are righteous but unredeemed beings bend over from glory to investigate the redemption that has been purchased. The lifeless body of our Savior hung in full view for the world to see, shamefully stripped of his dignity. And the world that he had created responded in full force. The earth shook, the sky turned dark, bolts of lightning flashed across the horizon, all the force and fury of her creation repulsed by the murder of its favorite son was released. In the process of it all, at that very moment that Jesus cried to Telestai, Matthew records almost as an aside. We sang about it earlier that the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. The dwelling place of God among men was no longer behind a curtain in a temple in Jerusalem, but was now in the hearts and lives of those who place their trust in his precious son, Jesus. In the most personal sense possible was now in fact Emmanuel, God with us. This is the gospel message. Let me close with this. It's not a short closing. To the average onlooker at the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, we talked about them earlier, this was the final resolution of the life of a man who didn't just fit in with the crowd. This man who had escaped the swift justice of the Jewish authorities on more than one occasion had finally fallen victim to his own devices. He had offended one too many Pharisees. He had performed one too many miracles. He had made one too many lofty claims of deity. He had simply committed too many, one too many's. Tetelestai, it was over. So the prognosis, the fourth P. What happens now? Well, if this was a movie, 
This is where the director would probably say, fade to black. And just before the credits would begin to roll, there would be this brief epilogue type moment in the movie, and we would see the screen begin to show little vignettes of things that were happening, and we see little, little written, handwritten notes over them. This is what happened, and this is what happened to him, and this is what happened to him. And, and we would probably see a few of the followers as they wander on their way back to, down the dusty road to Emmaus. We would see a vignette of a woman who was sitting at the doorstep of her home, grieving and wondering how the world could hate her son so much that they would kill him. We'd be told that the 12 remaining disciples would return to their former way of living, and we would see Peter maybe out on the boat fishing, and maybe we might find Luke working his medicine somewhere, and perhaps we'd see a vignette of Matthew as he was looking for new opportunities for employment in the Jerusalem accounting firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, or someone like that. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees would be entertaining morning prayers and scheming up new ways to maintain the political balance between the Romans and the Jews without losing the power and financial gains that were theirs. This is what the director of our little movie might see as the conclusion of a life lived in vain. But there is another ending to our movie. In the hopeful words of my favorite theologian, Yogi Berra, it ain't over till it's over. And in the words of David Phelps, it was only the end of the beginning. And if you don't know who David Phelps is, go home. Here's your assignment. Go home, open up your YouTube on your computer. I hope you've got a subwoofer. Crank up the volume, type in David Phelps, the end of the beginning, and then sit back and be blessed. Perhaps if you listen closely, in your imagination you can hear the slow, gentle roll of a timpani somewhere in the distance, the harbinger of something yet to come. And perhaps if you could somehow pan across the heavenlies, you would see the angelic realms whose presence in Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter 6 caused him to tremble and as they chanted, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And they would be watching intently and wondering, what's the next move? Could this be the scene we mentioned earlier in Peter's mind when he penned the words in 1 Peter 1, 12, the angels long to look into these things? And perhaps now you can hear the timpani rolling louder as the moment of victory approaches. This is the moment that all creation has been groaning over. Today, as we gather here, we are consumed with the darkness of our grief. We grieve at the weight of our sins that caused such a sacrifice. We grieve at the price for our redemption. But make no mistake about it. Our grief is short-lived. In less than 72 hours, we will gather. We will sing hymns of praise and hallelujahs. We will pray prayers of thanksgiving. We will celebrate the ripped veil in the holy of holies. We will celebrate the presence of our risen and living Savior. Today, we stand at the foot of the cross. Sunday we stand before an empty tomb. Amen. 
Today we stand in sorrow in the shadow of the cross. Sunday we will stand rejoicing in the sunlight of our victory. Church, are you ready? (laughs) We are the people of the light. Sunday is our day. Sunday we celebrate. This is the gospel story. To God be the glory. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.